um, um, Purdue students came last night uh, and surprised me because when they all came in, they all came in wearing tinfoil hats that they had made. Now, I don't know if they knew what kind of uh, reaction they'd get from me, but I reacted with, yes, I have one of those. And they started laughing, and I said, I didn't bring it. So I've made one today. <laughs> this is my own tinfoil hat. Now, the only difference between mine and theirs and what makes mine better is that mine has its own light to it. I can shine that light like UFOs have, right? There. And then this one, okay? So mine was actually better than theirs. I wish they would have came tonight because I probably would have given them my hat. All right, anyway, my name is uh, Mike Hoggard, H-O-G-G-A-R-D. You don't have to remember the last name. Just call me Pastor Mike, and that's fine. Uh, and let me ask... Uh, if anybody wants to answer this question, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But let me just ask you what your interest is. Why, why did you walk in here tonight? You didn't know there was free food, so now you know, okay? So what interests you about this? Let me talk to you. What interests you about this subject? Me? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't. Here's, here's me. This is my life, okay? I always, even from a little child, I always believed in God, okay? And nothing in my lifetime ever convinced me that there wasn't a God. In fact, everything that I know and see when I look at this world, when I see all the species of life on this one planet, and as far as we know, there is no other place in this solar system that has anything close to what we have on it. And the fact that this world is in the exact right spot for life to not only grow, but thrive. The fact that there's a moon, our moon is the only moon in the solar system like this one. Our moon is the exact size of the sun in the exact position that it is, which gives us these amazing um, solar uh, eclipses. Yeah, thank you. And so, to me, that speaks of design. It doesn't say this was an accident, and then all these other things that happen in this world are accidents. It tells me that it has a design. I was mentioning last night about DNA. DNA is found in the Bible. And how DNA works is shown clearly in the pages of the Bible. There was a verse written 3,000 years ago by King David, the, king, the Jewish king, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Christ, and he said to God, God, in thy book, all my members were written. Now, they didn't know until 19, the 1950s even what the makeup of DNA was, much less how it worked. But here's a guy 3,000 years ago writing and saying, actually, my body is written in a thing that's written just like a book, because in DNA... Not only do you have the codons and the base pairs that make the genetics of who you are and then make every single part of your living body, but also built into those genetic sequences are what they called start and stop codons. And what they are, they're repeated patterns that show the, the genetic scientist who's reading the DNA when one gene sequence stops and another gene sequence starts. 
just like a period at the end of a sentence and a capital letter at the beginning of a new sentence. We didn't know this. Everything we know about DNA is from the 50s. Most of what we know about DNA is about 30 years old. And every time they find out more and more things about DNA, they find out that it looks like it was on purpose, not just an accident. How is it that man developed language exactly the way DNA is written for every species in the world? So the little things like that tell me that there's a God, okay? But then you've got all these UFOs up in the sky, and I used to bring these UFO, UFO books home, and I'd read them, and I'd see all these pictures, and read all these stories, and Betty and Barney Hill, and, and all of these things that go back into the 40s, and then Roswell, you started hearing about Roswell, and was there a crash ship there, and so on. And um, let me start out by doing this. Uh, I recently went to the Mutual UFO Network uh, Symposium, it was in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, my wife and I went. And we, we did basically what we're doing here. We didn't speak, but we were giving out the free DVDs and so on. And uh, because I speak on these things and I put them on, come on in. I, I speak on these things and I put them on video, put them on YouTube, put them on my uh, Facebook channel and so on. And people watch them and they, and they seem to like them. And so we use that as a way to draw people to what we're doing as a ministry. Um, where's it going with that? That was pretty good until I lost track. Uh, but anyway, okay, I remember. The focus of the symposium this year was UFOs, friend, or foe. Now, I can say that a majority of the people there and a majority of the speakers, because I listened to a lot of the speakers when I went there, a, a majority of them say that the UFOs represent a a friendly relationship that Earth needs to have with whoever is inside those ships and whoever, um, whatever aliens might make appearances here to different people on this Earth and are supposedly talking to people on this Earth like Dr. Stephen Greer and others. Um, and they believe that the UFOs and the people behind the UFOs and the technology is all friendly toward mankind and they have no agenda other than helping mankind go to his next stage of evolution. Okay? So that's the friend side. There were a very few speakers who would be on the foe side. Some of these guys are going to be people who are in the military, people who are ex-NASA, ex-Department of Defense, ex-Pentagon, ex-Air Force, ex-CIA people. They know some of the things and some of the encounters that our military has had with these UFOs and the incursions that they made. One guy tells a story, and, and he's, he has uh, told this before Congress. He was uh, stationed uh, in Montana at a missile base up there. We had 10 nuclear missiles. This is back in the 60s at the height of the Cold War. And those 10 nuclear missiles were aimed at Russia. And he gets a call one day. He's down inside the bunker, down in the control center. He gets a call from up top. And one of the guards says, uh, you need to come up here. There's three glowing craft-looking objects outside the fence out here just hovering there in the sky. You need to come up here and take a look at them. He said, well, I can't leave my post. 
just keep your eye on them. Well, he gets another call about 10, 15 minutes later saying, okay, now they're on our side of the fence. They're directly over the missile launch areas and uh, we need to know what to do about them. Before he could answer that question, all 10 of those missiles went completely dead. And I mean from the electronics that was inside the missiles themselves to the electronic uh, targeting boards and control boards that those guys were using down in that bunker. It took them months to bring guys back to that missile base to get those missiles back online and to get uh, the, all the technology there and all the um, circuitry back online. Because we were in the middle of a Cold War and we had something that we know for a fact disabled part of our ability to wage war against who we perceived was our enemy back then, which was the Soviet Union, then obviously they don't represent a friend to the interest of our country or the interest of the people of this world. They represent some people that have the ability, if they wanted to, to completely take over every... It is obvious that whatever is behind this phenomenon they are more advanced than we are. They're smarter than we are. They know more than we are. They can do more than we can. And part of what they can do is defy the laws of three-dimensional physics. Their ships start and stop without accelerating or decelerating. Their ships make 90-degree right hand or left hand or upward or downward turns without ever slowing down or banking they defy, they would kill any human inside that ship because you just can't take, a, if you're traveling at 800 miles an hour, you just can't stop and turn right without slowing down. So they defy our laws of physics. So obviously, there's enough people in this world in places of government and religion that would say these are not friends to us, these are foes. They represent a threat to our civilization, they represent a threat to our way of life, they represent a threat to us as a species. If, and some people will say, well, if they wanted to, they could have killed us already. That's true, and I believe that that may still be in the works, but there's something else that I believe that, number one, the UFO people say that the UFO people want, and number two, what I believe the Bible says they want. Now, I've got this up on the screen. Who knows who Aleister Crowley is? Who is he? Yes, he is. You know your stuff, okay? So you and I kind of have studied some of the same things, right? And Aleister Crowley, a good guy or bad guy? What did his friends say about him? Which friends? Yeah. Blavatsky hated him. She kicked him out. He was in the same occult organization as Helena Blavatsky, and she said, you got to get out of here. He was too evil for her, okay? And so he went out and started his own cult religion. He was nicknamed the Beast. He used to be proud of that name. He used to be proud of being called the world's most evil man. You're right. He was a British guy. And... Um, uh, he had two very well-known American disciples. You know who they were? Jack Parsons was one of them. The, the original rocket man, the man behind the early rocket program in the United States of America was Jack Parsons, and he was a direct disciple of Aleister Crowley. 
Um, also, the guy, I can't remember his name, but he started the Scientology, you know, the, where all the Hollywood, like, uh, huh? Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, he was a direct disciple of Aleister Crowley, okay? So the influence of Crowley still going on. The Beatles, when they put out Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album, they had a, a montage of pictures of people that were influences in their lives and people that they liked, and there's that p picture of Aleister Crowley sitting there, okay? So obviously they followed him in some theosophical ways and so on. Well, Aleister Crowley, he developed what he called the Alamantra working. Basically, it was a set of pre-divined rituals where he would maybe draw pentagrams on the ground or in his house. Uh, he had a house called the Bolskine House, and it was at Loch Ness. Okay? And um, I think one of the guys from, um, oh, um, who wrote uh, Stairway to Heaven? Jimmy Page ended up buying that house and living in it. Okay? So anyway, Crowley had this house called the Bolskin House, and he built it to be basically this experimental temple of all of his occult rituals. So he worked on a set of rituals, things that he would do, things that he would say, magic uh, charms that he would recite, women that he would have sex with, ritualistic, satanic sex, and he would call this the Alamantra working, and it was all designed to bring this guy from a different, um, different part of the known universe or unknown universe, uh, a, different, a whole different um, area altogether, the fourth dimension is what I'm trying to say, brought this spirit back to his house and he had conversations with him. And what's interesting is you can see the obvious connection. He brings this alien. We'll call him an alien because an alien simply means he is a stranger. He's not from here. And this particular creature was not from this planet or this plane. He was from a higher dimension. And he was called Lamb. And the word Lamb is a, um, oh, who is the Dalai Lama? Okay, the word Lama is from the word lamb, and it's a word that means the way. Okay, well, now we have something that is a direct opposition to Christianity. Because in Christianity, we have Jesus quoted in the four Gospels saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. In other words, Jesus was expressing the idea that Christianity is, the, is an exclusive religion, it doesn't really get along with other religions. In other words, we as true Christians don't believe that other people's religions are the same as ours. Obviously, if I believed that, I wouldn't be much of a Christian minister. Uh, so anyway, so this lamb comes through and he fills Crowley with all kinds of things and so on and so on and so on. And somebody asked Crowley to draw or to sketch what this lamb looked like. Now, if you will notice in this sketch, he drew little bitty eyes here, okay? Uh, I've read something. I'm not sure 100% if it's true or not. But Crowley changed the original eyes that he had. If you look right here, you can see where originally it looked like he drew two great big almond-shaped eyes right in here. 
but then this was done in pencil, so he must have rubbed it out and then drew in two smaller eyes to make it, I guess, look more realistic or whatever. But everybody who has studied UFOs and what they call the gray aliens has always noted that there is a connection between the looks and the appearance of this lamb and what we know to be the, what they call the gray aliens on this earth. So that to me, and I just kind of injected the eyes there where we think originally Crowley had those two eyes, okay? In other words, he changed his own, his own sketch to make it look more normal, I guess. So um, as a Christian, I look at this, as someone who knows the Bible and believes the Bible, I look at this and I say, okay, this is, um, this is obviously not a human, not with eyes like that. Um, has anybody seen, and I'm, I'm going to pop up a, a video here for you that have you seen this is neil degrasse tyson you know the, the scientist that's on every news channel in uh, mexico they brought out two supposed alien mummies found in peru uh, and uh, they did the right thing these these mummies have been known uh for the at least i've known about them for the last four years uh, and I've talked about them on my broadcast. I think that they're legitimate. And I think that because when they found these mummies, they didn't just hide them in a box and say, we have alien mummies, but you can't see them. And, and Neil deGrasse Tyson says basically the same thing. He says that they did the right thing. They, uh, Jaime Mosan, who's a Mexican reporter, he brought them out, showed them to the Mexican Congress, the Congress of Mexico, showed it to them, and they have distributed, at least there's more than two of these, distributed one of these bodies to different scientists. They've done x-rays, they've done MRIs of them, and instead of the accusation where somebody scoffed at it and said, it looks like they just took a bunch of bones from a chicken and they wrapped it up in uh, paper mache and made it look old, and that's what they are, when they actually get to examine, and what they've done, they, they have let science examine the mummies. And so they know and they have said that basically, number one, they are covered with a single uh, section of skin. It looks like reptile skin. It's got scales on it. Number two, it has bones in it that are Bone structure, just like you would expect to see in an Egyptian mummy. In other words, they are a real, single species, but we don't know what they are or where they came from. And so Neil deGrasse Tyson is talking about that on there, and um, I was showing this video earlier. This is, I think in about 2008, a guy put up a YouTube channel, and he put one, one video on it and he called it Skinny Bob. This supposedly is from Russia, and the film, I don't know how it made it over here or who ended up with it. The guy put up one, one film on this YouTube channel, left it there. It, nobody knows who he was, nobody knows his identity, where he came from, anywhere. But supposedly this is a legitimate film from the former Soviet Union where they had, let me go back here, a crashed UFO or a landed UFO. There's several of the occupants. 
And then they, uh, I don't know what they're doing here, but they zoom in on this one and they called him Skinny Bob. He's about three and a half feet tall. Uh, and this, this is not a mummy. This is actual moving object. Now, this could be two things. Number one, it could be uh, animatronics, which is possible. Um, it could be just, um, and it'd be hard to say that it's a person in a suit because the arms and the legs are just too spindly, too skinny. Um, and so a human body just, unless there was a sickness there, just wouldn't fit inside of this. Number two, the eyes are blinking on this uh, in a way that is not easy to do with animatronics. So that leaves then the possibility that it's Blender or Adobe After Effects or some other um, Blender's free. You can take Blender, which is a, a video graphics CGI software, and it's 100% free. Anybody who, who can learn Blender can learn how to make a Hollywood-style CGI effects with it, okay? And so it's not that hard to do, but there just seems to be some things about this. To me, doesn't look fake, okay? So, but at least it matches uh, the pictures that we have seen already, uh, the painting of lamb and so on. So, obviously he's not a human, we know that nobody lives on the moon. We're pretty sure that nobody lives on Mars. So where did Lamb come from? And if he is a representative of these other types of gray aliens, some of them range in size from three and a half to four and a half feet tall, and then you have accounts of those who say, yeah, we saw the little ones about three feet tall, and then there was usually one big one about seven feet tall. You have accounts like that. Some people report that they have large black almond-shaped eyes. This one here obviously doesn't have an all-black eye. It has part of a white eye as well. So you have a difference among... It, the differences among the gray alien sightings would basically be similar to the differences that you see inside this room. There's a difference between me and her, okay? Me and you, me and big Kevin back there, okay? There are subtle differences, in, even though we're the same species, species of human, there's subtle differences between us. And so that's what I think is going on there. Uh, that gray alien face did not really become known or popular until the early 90s when Whitley Strieber, who was already uh, an accomplished author, he wrote uh, several novels. One of them was called Wolfen which was turned into a Hollywood uh, werewolf movie back in the 80s. I remember seeing that. But Whitley Stryber uh, was him and his wife. They were into things like um, um, transcendental meditation, Eastern meditation forms. Uh, maybe, maybe in some cases they were doing some astral projection exercises and so on. And Whitley Stryber, because he had money, he had a... Um, he had sort of a, a log cabin out in, I think, New England somewhere, and him and his wife would go there and, and just kind of retire from city life and everything like that, and he would work on his books or he would meditate or just do whatever he wanted to. It was out there at that cabin that Whitley Strieber, Whitley Strieber began to have what he referred to as alien abductions. He doesn't call them 
abductions anymore. He doesn't call himself an abductee. He calls himself an experiencer. And that's some of the changes that have been made in the language since the whole abduction thing really became known, and it became known through Whitley Strieber's work. Um, there were people who would say, who would see this image on the front of his book, buy the book, read the book, and say, that's been happening to me. And so you have an explosion in the 90s of not only people who are willing to step forward and tell their stories, but you have people who are willing to um, use hypnosis and other methods to try to bring out of their minds uh, the memories that they have, the abduction things that we know about started in the uh, mid to early 1960s with a couple by the name of Betty and Barney Hill. They were a mixed race couple, which was not very usual back in the 60s, but they lived in England, New England, so it was a little bit easier on them. And they uh, had some missing time one night on a way home from, um, from a, a, a holiday trip that they took. And um, during that missing time, uh, they started having dreams, and they started having some problems with sleep and so on. So they went to a psychiatrist. He started doing hypnotic regressions with them, and they found out, basically, that they were stopped by a UFO. They were taken aboard the ship. Uh, tests were done on both of them, and then they were brought back to um, their car and put in their car. And, they, of course, they, you know, they've got about four missing hours. One of the things that Barney... Uh, said Barney Hill said Barney was um, he was a religious man I'm not sure that I would call him a Christian but he was a religious man and he remembers one aspect of his abduction um, thing that happened was that he wished that he could stay on the ship with the aliens and go to wherever their home planet was because he believed that that would finally prove the existence of God to this world. And in the 60s, not, there was a, a sort of an explosion of atheism, especially in this country. And so uh, he wanted to prove that there was a God, and he thought that if we discovered these aliens, then that would prove to everybody that there was a God. I'm not sure exactly his thinking process, but that's what he believed. And so you have Betty Barney Hill, you have uh, Whitley Strieber, and then you have uh, a man by the name of Bud Hopkins, who's written a ton of books. Uh, he's probably done hypnotic regressions on 300 to 500 different subjects, and they all tell almost an identical abduction story. But Hopkins ended up getting interest from a man by the name of John Mack. John Mack was not only a professor of psychi psychiatrics, he was the Harvard head of the psychiatric department at Harvard University back in the 90s. And so he got in, he, he was a Nobel Prize winner. So this guy's got credentials, okay? He can go in certain meeting rooms that most of us can't go into. He's got credentials. He starts looking at some of these people. He interviewed about 100 people, 100 patients, that all claimed to have missing time or they were having problems sleeping at night. They were having uh, issues uh, with relationships and so on. So he took them on as patients and he found out that the ones that he interviewed and the ones that he uh, went through hypnotic regression with, basically they all told the same story. They would be in their bed at night, sound asleep. All of a sudden, uh, sometimes they would wake up with the little grays around them and sometimes they would wake up as they were being taken aboard the ship. Many of them who were at their homes 
could recount the feeling of being sort of phased through the wall of their house and then the feeling of being tractor beamed up, that's the only way I can explain it, up into the ship. The actual feeling of going through the wall of their house and they remembered that feeling and the feeling of going back into their their own bed the next morning. And they basically all told the same story too, that the aliens um, um, showed them some things up there, told them a little bit about who they were, did some tests, and in almost every case, I talked about this last night, in almost every case that both Bud Hopkins, Whitley Strieber, Barney and Betty Hill, John Mack from Harvard, they all told the exact same thing that the aliens were interested in something. They were not just trying to gene sequence humans to find out like they were like zookeepers over the planet Earth. They were trying to create a new species. And I'll show you that in a minute. Now, what do I believe about these aliens? I mentioned um, earlier this week, I think it was Monday night, or last night I went through uh, a few of the different types of alien species that people say they see. Some say they see uh, the reptilians, okay? Those that take on a serpentine form, or they look humanoid, but they also look like some form of a, like a human and a dragon mix, or a human and a serpent mix, or a human and a, I don't know, alligator mix, or whatever, I don't know. But anyway, they describe a reptilian race. Well, that's interesting because... The Bible describes a race of evil spirits that are called, in the Bible, the dragons, serpents. Uh, here's, a good, here's a good phrase from the Bible, fiery flying serpents. In other words, they were not just snakes on the ground. They were made of a type of fourth dimensional fire. They were glowing with light. And they had the ability to fly through the air. Stephen Greer, if you um, get a chance to look at a video, uh, Stephen Greer put out a video called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And um, hang on, let me pose for the picture. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> I'm telling you I'm a ham. But anyway, um, Stephen Greer actually snapped a photograph of a fiery flying serpent. I have it in my notes somewhere. I have it on one, of these, on one of these videos, I know for sure, maybe a couple of them. But he had some people doing what he called a CE5 event, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind is different in that it's human-initiated contact with alien beings. And so he has these people uh, all out. A lot of times they go out to a beach. They'll go to a remote area like a mountain or a forest or a desert or a beach. They get out of the city and they all began to do the same thing. They do exactly what Whitley Strieber was doing. They start meditating. They start doing Indian or Eastern forms of meditation where they empty their mind and they create a, like a void in their mind and then they come in contact with these different species. And here's, here's where I get at least part of my belief system from. As far as we know... We've never been able to contact an alien race or an alien species or any of these UFOs by radio waves, uh, any kind of radio waves, 
any kind of electromagnetic means, any type of communication technology that we currently have on this planet right now, as far as I know, is not how anybody has ever come in contact with any of these UFOs or any of these alien species. In almost every case, if a person wanted to, and Stephen Greer started doing this when he was in college. He went to college, I think, in North Carolina and studied to become an ER doctor. The guy is very smart, very intelligent, uh, but I think he's very duped, in my opinion. He started getting in contact with these spirits, or they started getting in contact with him while he was in college. He came down very sick and was going to die because he didn't have any money. He was putting his own way through college. And he was laying in his, in his apartment or his dorm room, basically dying of some kind of sickness. And he says the aliens came and they healed him. So right then he began to get in contact with them. And how he would get in contact with them, he didn't pick up the phone and call ET. He didn't use a radio. He didn't use a Morse code or anything like that. He basically would go out to one of the mountains there around North Carolina in the Appalachian Mountains. And he would sit alone out in a wilderness place. And then he would go into a trance. And then he would get in contact with these alien species. Now, before people who studied, uh, let's, let's use the word occult in a, in a general term, uh, not pointing at any particular religion, but before anybody knew anything about getting in contact with what they believed were aliens by means of meditation, it was widely known that those who were practitioners of different things, such as scrying, which is you look into a gazing bowl or a bowl of mercury or a mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, that's called scrying. And it's a form of you gazing into a reflective service, and then after a while, you are in contact with some spirit that is on the other side of that mirrored object. That's called scrying. There are people who would go into various trances, and they would be called what they call now, uh, we, we used to call them mediums back in the old days. I think today they're channelers. And there are people, you can go online right now and find people who will channel all kinds of different creatures or different species or different, I'll just use, the, I'll use the word the Bible used, devils, gods with a little g, evil angels, okay? They get in contact with these different creatures. So how is it that for thousands of years, Medicine men, um, witch doctors, astrologers, soothsayers, diviners, uh, seers uh, who go back thousands of years in earth's history. All of these people were getting in contact with higher beings through these occult methods. How is it now that all of a sudden some people who call them UFOs and call them aliens are getting in contact with these aliens the exact same way? That tells me something. It tells me that either everybody back for these thousands of years who were getting in contact with these spirits or these gods didn't know who they were getting in contact with, that they really were aliens from some planet in the Pleiades or from Sirius B or from, uh, what are some of the other places I've heard of? Uh, but anyway, they're getting in contact with some aliens, you know, thousand light years away from, from Earth. They're able to contact them now. How come is it that 
They use these occult methods, and now they're all of a sudden they're getting in contact with aliens. That tells me that they're the same thing, same species, and they have the same agenda. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28:50, a nation of fierce countenance. This is a prophecy. This is the Bible saying this is going to happen. Okay? It uh, was prophesied back in the days of Moses. Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Uh, so if you've seen the Ten Commandments, you know a little bit about Moses. Um, Moses was given this by God, and he pronounced it to the Israelite people, and he wrote it down in the book of Deuteronomy, that a nation of fierce countenance. Countenance is your face. Fierce means they look mean, like alligators. Alligators look mean, and you don't have friendly alligators that you pet. Dolphins don't look mean. They have smiles on their face, and you can pet dolphins all day long. So a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young, they are going to come to this earth. God said so. Daniel 8, 23. Daniel also was a prophet of God. He predicted that there was coming a time when there would be a king of fierce countenance. And understanding dark sentences. When I say the word dark sentences, what does that, what does that make you think of? Dark sentences. Okay. Huh? Spells. Um, hidden knowledge. Let's say that, let's say for the sake of the argument here tonight, I believe the Bible to be full of light sentences. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He said, I am the light of the world. So we believe uh, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, the entrance of thy words give, uh, bringeth light. And so we as Christians believe that we are enlightened by reading and studying and believing what the Bible says. The opposite of that would be dark sentences, sentences written in some kind of language that nobody really knows and nobody really understands. But this king is going to understand them. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, in fact, let me show it to you this way. In Deuteronomy 28, in the same place where Moses gave that prophecy about a nation of fierce countenance, he also said, not only are they not going to show favor to the young or to the old, he also said that, uh, let's see here, where is it? Oh, I think it's back before verse 50. Here we go. He said, the Lord, which is God, shall bring a nation against thee from far from the end of the earth. Now, the earth is a circle. It's a globe. Globes don't have a beginning. and They don't have an end. What was he talking about? There actually is an end to what this earth is. It's called the Kármán line. And we now know this because we sent balloons up there uh, going all the way back to the 30s and 40s. The military has. We've now gone, gone into orbit. Um, you were talking about Neil Armstrong a while ago. One of the test pilot things that Neil Armstrong did was he flew this sort of plane rocket up above the atmosphere. Did you see the movie First Man? That, that happened. And Armstrong was smart enough to know that when he tried to get back into the atmosphere and he bounced off of it and he couldn't control his plane, he had to cut through it like a pair of scissors and cut into the atmosphere. That's the Kármán line. That's the end of the earth is what it is. Everything inside that line is this earth. Everything outside that line is beyond the earth. 
So he says, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth. A nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. Now, name a language that on this earth people speak and nobody knows what it is. It doesn't exist. We pretty much know even some of the most not well-spoken tribal dialects. We do a lot of ministry work in Kenya, and everybody over there speaks at least three languages, English, Swahili, and their tribal language. And we pretty much know all of them. Google is translating them now. And, there's, and we are living in the age where there will be universal translators literally translating on the fly for us everything that anybody speaks, no matter what language. But God said that this army that he sends to the earth is going to speak a language that nobody is going to understand. And in fact, there was an occultist. Did you ever hear the name? You know who Crowley was. You know who John Dee was. Okay. John Dee was the uh, astrologer and counselor to Queen Elizabeth I. So this goes back to the 1500s, I believe. John Dee and a man by the name of Edward Kelly got together, and they were using scrying. They had a gazing bowl full of mercury, and they would stare into it and get in contact with who they were told were angels. John Dee believed that he was speaking to angels, and I believe he was too. And these angels were telling John Dee that they all spoke a language between them that no humans knew. Adam knew it. From the Bible, Adam, the original man, he knew it. And these angels were telling John Dee that um, Adam was able to not just name the animals, but create the animals. He could create the world around him by speaking this language that no human knows, but the angels all know it. So when I see a verse like this where God says, I'm sending an army to this earth whose language you don't know, and I know from history that at least one man got in contact with some of these people, and they said, we speak this language. By the way, um, Dee and his partner uh, went about to try to learn this language and come up with an alphabet for it, and it's called Enochian. If you want to look that up and verify that what I'm saying to you is you've heard this before, Enochian, okay? They believe that Enoch, the, uh, the prophet from the book of Genesis, knew this language. The Bible doesn't say anything about that, but it does tell us that there is a race that speaks a language that nobody on the earth knows. Now, here's Dr. Stephen Greer. As I mentioned before, he, uh, he was uh, a very successful, very brilliant uh, ER physician. To be an ER physician, you have to be more than just a regular physician. You have to be able to stop people from dying in a matter of seconds. And that's how smart this guy was. But I believe that he was deceived by these spirits. So in an interview on YouTube, Dr. Greer described an alien craft that he saw. He said, the ET crafts are an extension of the ET consciousness and their life. And they are actually living crystalline objects that are conscious. Now, he's not saying that about the aliens. He's saying that about their ships. That their ships, and now, remember, Dr. Greer and I, if we were put into a room together, we would be arguing at each other in a matter of seconds. I don't 
believe any of his belief systems. He doesn't believe any of my belief systems. But we're agreeing on one thing here. He's not wrong about these craft being living. Who in here drives a car? Well, who in here drives a car? <laughs> okay. I rented a car when I got into town, and I hate that they do this. It is, um, the car is smarter than, supposed to be smarter than me, and it moves my steering wheel without my permission because when it sees me getting, you know what I'm talking about, assisted driving. That is my car attempting to be smarter than me, okay? Now, we know that uh, Elon Musk and others are working on smart cars. We know that they're getting smarter every single day. We know that artificial intelligence is gaining huge ground in this world and that company after company after company after corporation after nation after military is using artificial intelligence. It is very likely that both Israel and Hamas are using some form of artificial intelligence to help them fight this war that they're fighting between them. So basically, what you end up having is one intelligent uh, system fighting another equally intelligent system. When you have two guys that play chess equally as well, who wins? Always ends up in a stalemate, okay? And this is where we're at right now with artificial intelligence. Everybody's using it, and Elon Musk was the guy who stood up a few years ago and said, uh, we're not asking the question here, should we be leaning so heavily on artificial intelligence? Should we not, uh, shouldn't we push back a little bit from that and put in safeguards to protect us? Because if we don't, then every movie you ever saw about AI taking over and it doesn't turn out well for the humans like uh, the Terminator and the Matrix and everything else, he said, yeah, all of that's going to come true. And he said, you're talking about like, like demons taking over the world. And he used that word. He said, that's what you're talking about. So his uh, version of safeguarding mankind from being destroyed by artificial intelligence was what, Kevin? Neuralink. Neuralink. And if we can't beat them, join them so that Every, why do you think that Elon Musk wanted all of these satellites surrounding the globe and wrapping the entire planet with Wi-Fi? Because there eventually is a plan to put and connect every living human being with the World Wide Web. So think about it. Everything that you ever wanted to see on the World Wide Web, on the Internet, can be beamed into your head in just a fraction of a few seconds. I mean, I mean everything, even things you probably shouldn't see. What if things you wanted to know, instead of having to study, and we, the, the students that came last night, they were so well-behaved, and I appreciate you guys being here. They had to get up, and they said, we got to test. If we, if we don't study now, we're going to be up till 1 o'clock in the morning. So they left, and uh, so there will be a time when... Why would the students have to study? And we're literally going to be put into their brains, just like on the Matrix. And so these days are coming. And when we start talking about smart cars, my insurance agent told me 
that the insurance company that we have that covers our cars and everything like that, where my son has already wrecked two of them. Yeah. He's learning. Um, he said they had a, they had a meeting uh, with, the, uh, with the agents and with the, uh, um, the shareholders, and they said, um, we have to figure out in the age when the car becomes totally self-sufficient and um, it doesn't need any human interaction to drive itself. We have to figure out and work out laws that says when there is an accident with these cars, who's at, who's at fault? Let's say that you owned a smart car and you just got in the car and the car said, where do you want to go today? And you said, well, take me to the science lab. And so the car takes you to the science lab. But on the way to the science lab, the car wrecks. Are you liable for that? No, you wouldn't be. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't drive in the car. You didn't touch the steering wheel. You didn't put your foot on the gas pedal, the brake pedal, the emergency brake. You were looking at your phone or you were watching, you know, I don't know, Gilligan's Island on the screen or whatever. You were just having a ball going to the science lab there across campus and all of a sudden your car wreck. You're not responsible for it. Yeah, you know, it's dependent on him. Okay, I guarantee you he's got Lars. He's already protected, all right? But that was the discussion. Who's liable? Because now for the first time, we're going to have a lawsuit against what used to be an inanimate object, a non-living object. But now we're going to get into a day when the car is going to be sued because it was the car that made the mistake. Think about it. So now you have a living Machine, a living car. Let me show it to you what it looks like in the Bible. If you want to write this down. In fact, you know what? I have this in my notes. Let me get to it. If I have it in here. Stephen Greer, Stephen Greer, Stephen Greer. Um, alien abductions. Okay, here it is right here. Ezekiel chapter 1. This is where uh, you've heard of Eric von Daniken wrote uh, Chariots of the Gods. It was a book came out in the late 60s. Nobody, nobody would publish it for him. Nobody wanted to touch it. And uh, he finally found a publisher, and it's made him millions and millions of dollars. But anyway, he wrote Chariots of the Gods because he, uh, I think it was from Sweden or Denmark, and he, he grew up at a, going to Catholic school. And he said, I believed in God. And he said, I'm being told by these priests at the Catholic school that in Ezekiel 1, that that's God and he's riding a chariot. And he said, if he's God, why does he need a chariot? Not a bad question, because I've asked the same thing myself. We as Christians believe that God has a city called heavenly Jerusalem, it's Jerusalem up in heaven. We believe that God lives in a temple. There is a temple of God in heaven. There are also God's temples here in this world, you probably heard the phrase, the temple of your body. That comes right out of 1 Corinthians. That comes right out of the Bible and Christian teaching is that we are the living dwelling place, the living temple of God himself. So does God need a house to live in? No, but he chooses us. Does God need a city to rule over? No, but he has this beautiful one where the streets are paved with gold and the gates are all made of a single pearl. And it's just absolutely dazzling beyond any city that man has ever come up with. This beautiful city exists in heaven and that's what we believe in. Then we believe that God has the coolest car in the universe, okay? 
This is, and I call this the chariots of God. This is God's chariot. Ezekiel said, I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north. Now, whirlwind in the Bible, in Bible language, this word, uh, this Bible is a 400-year-old translation. It's the King James translation. And the Hebrew that is translated from dates back a couple thousand years before Christ. So a whirlwind is basically an energy vortex. Okay? And those who have studied some of these alien crafts say that that's how they're able to generate gravity as a vortex, and that's how they move these vehicles around and defy the laws of physics. So he sees this whirlwind coming out of the north. The north is a reference in the Bible to the heavenly city where Jerusalem is because there's no landmass at the North Pole. Nobody lives at the North Pole. There's no nations up there. So this comes from a higher north than just the North Pole. He says in verse 9, their wings were joined to one to another. So, number one, this, this chariot of God is made of four living creatures. They're angels. They're of the order of cherubim, if you've heard that word before, cherubs. And then in verse 12, that they went everyone straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went. In other words, God is in his chariot, and wherever his mind and his spirit wants to go, those angels automatically know, and they take, God doesn't have to say, move forward, now go south 10 degrees. He doesn't have to do that. He just commands it in his spirit. The angels respond, and they take him exactly to where God wants to go. But then it gets, and, and by the way, it, has, it looks like coals of fire and the appearance of lamps all around it. These UFOs that come in, the one that my mom saw, she saw it because it was at nighttime and it was all glowing white light. Why do they have lights? Because that's how God made them, these angels. They have the appearance of lamps. They look like coals of fire. I mentioned to you the fiery flying serpents that are mentioned in the Bible. They are bright. They catch people's eye. So here we have that. And then it, down here it says, uh, and out of the fire went forth lightning. Lightning is electricity. The living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. How fast is lightning? Just like that. It's usually too fast that if you were trying to take a picture of lightning, you're going to miss it. It's that fast. And God is telling us that this chariot moves exactly like uh, Commander David Fravor who uh, was flying with uh, a carrier group out in the Pacific Ocean back in 2004, and he's the one who spotted what they called the Tic Tac UFO. And he said this thing was defying every law of physics that we currently have that relates to flying. He said it was starting and stopping, it was going up, it was going down, it wasn't accelerating or decelerating, and he said, I wish I had one. That's how excited he got. And David Fravor is, was, at the time, one of our top gun fly guys. He was one of these guys who would be the first to fly into danger to protect our country. And if he's wrong about what he saw in the Pacific Ocean, he has no business flying out there. But that's what he saw. And so the Bible's telling you exactly what that is. Here we have these angels, this chariot of God, that moved as quick as lightning. No acceleration, no deceleration. Then in verse 15 and 16, now we introduce the wheels. And um, that's what uh, sort of captivated Eric Von Daniken was uh, 
that he believed this description was describing God having a four-wheeled chariot, because it does. And he said it's the color of barrel. It was like brightly lit, brightly illuminated, like we would see a UFO. And he said it was like the work of a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And he mentioned their rings, which I think is part of the wheels. And he said, and when the living creatures went, the angels, the wheels went by them naturally because you can't have a chariot unless you got wheels. And when the living creatures lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Where the, the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their spirit to go. And the living wheels were lifted up over against them. And now here it is right here. The spirit of the living creature, the angels, and God sitting on the throne there in that chariot, wherever God's spirit wanted to go, the angels immediately react, responded to it. And then the wheels immediately responded to it as well. Making everything from... God who is sitting in the chariot to the four angels themselves to the wheels that were by the four angels, all part of one solid living chariot. It was alive because it had a spirit in them. Anything living has a spirit. Now, and then the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of the terrible crystal. Uh, and it was the likeness of a throne on top of it and a man above upon it. So this was the living chariot of God. Now, here's what's interesting. Psalm 68, 17 says, again, written 3,000 years ago, the chariots of God, it even gives the number of them, 20,000, even thousands of angels. So here the Bible right here in this one verse is going along with what we saw in Ezekiel that God's chariot is made up of living beings, living creatures. Soon to be, let's say, let's get conservative and let's say it's going to take 15 years. So if it takes 15 years, um, I'll be 72 by then, I think. And... So let's say when I'm 72 and you're 15 years older than you are right now, that we will be in vehicles that are alive. They're just as alive as your dog is, your cat, or actually more alive than that because they will have the ability to think on their own. Now, there is an interesting passage in the Bible. It's another prophecy. Uh, who in here has heard of the Antichrist? Everybody, okay. Um, he's called the beast. He's called the Antichrist. He is like the arch enemy of Jesus Christ. And so here he is, shows up in Revelation 13. He has seven heads, ten horns, and crowns upon his head. And the dragon, who is Satan, gives him his power. And then we find down later that a man by the name of the false prophet... He's like the opposite of me, all right? He's a preacher, he's a prophet, he's pretending to be a prophet of God, but he's not really. And he causes everybody on the earth to make an image, like an idol, a statue, of the beast, okay, the Antichrist. Only this false prophet right here 
has the power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, two things about this image that make it different from any statue or any robot that we currently have, any auto, um, automaton or animatronic creature or anything like that. Right now with Siri, who uses Siri? Okay, I, I always thought that I would talk to my computer when I got old enough and I don't like it now. But anyway, Siri is sort of artificial intelligence, but it's not because the, the, the bad thing about Siri is that all of her responses are pre-programmed. Okay. And she is, she is taught to say certain things or a combination of certain things in response to certain things that are said to her or Hey Google or Alexa or any of these other artificial intelligence um, things that we talk to. But they're learning and they're, and they're made to learn. They're made to listen to humans and how humans talk and, and what humans say and, and what humans mean when they say certain things. They're all the time learning. All this data that, that is going through your phone or your tablet or your laptop or your desktop or whatever, all this data that's being sent, it's called the Internet of Things, and what it's doing, it is teaching not humans, it's teaching artificial intelligence. Who uses ChatGPT? I used ChatGPT to show a group of preachers one time that a computer could write just as good a paper on the Christian theology than anybody sitting in that audience. I just asked... ChatGPT to answer three simple questions. I can't remember what they were concerning. And I put them up on the screen like I'm doing here. And I read them to people and I didn't tell them where it came from. And everybody, all these people are going, amen, amen. That's the truth. That's the truth. And then I told them, a human didn't write that. A computer did. And you could have heard a pin drop. So they're learning. Artificial intelligence is taking all these things that we funny humans do and all these funny things that we say, and all these weird practices that we have, and all these religions that we all believe in, and everything about us, and they're learning. Right now, they are our servants, because that's what we humans do. We take lesser species, and we put them to work. We use uh, mice in laboratories, we use horses to plow ground, and take people places back 100 years ago before cars and Amish still do it, but we use lesser species to do our work for us. And right now, the lesser species that's doing our work are computers and robots and cars and artificial intelligence systems. But what happens when the artificial intelligence, and this is, this is legitimate, it's not coming from a, a, a crazy-eyed Christian preacher, this is actually the question and the serious thing that everybody's thinking of. We have quantum computers over here that we're told operate so well because they operate in a different dimension. 
of space than, than we live in. Fourth dimension, not three dimensions. Whereby a computer plays chess by analyzing one move after another in billions of times every second. But a quantum computer can look at every single play after the first play of the game all at once. That's a god. A god, one of, the, one of the attributes the Bible teaches us about the god that I believe in is that he can see everything all at once. It's called, uh, let's see, there's omnipotence, omniscience, all-seeing. Huh? Omnipresent. God is at all times, at all times. He is past, present, future. He sees it all, just like he sees you and I right now. So if we're building a quantum computer that has the brain power of a god and then give it access to the knowledge that a god would have about the universe and us humans and everything that we know already, then we've made a god. And gods don't bow before men. Men bow before gods. So, is it completely out of this world and no possibility whatsoever that there could be in a different realm than you and I are in right now a living chariot. The Bible says yes. Stephen Greer says yes. Let me get back to him because he was interesting. So right here is when he tells us that... Um, these objects are alive. They're conscious. In the same interview, Greer reflects on another UFO appearance while meditating. He said, this object came in, and it was a celestial God consciousness ET arrival. That's an exact quote from a YouTube video that he made called UFOs are... In fact, if you want to type this in, make a note of it, and watch the video. UFOs are living organisms, Stephen Greer. Okay. That's where I got it from. And you can hear the background of why he's saying what he's saying. He was basically told in his spirit while meditating and in contact with what he believed were alien species that this UFO came in and it was actually already a living God. The UFO was. Uh, who's ever heard of Bob Lazar? Okay. Bob Lazar is the guy who's who came out and said Area 51 for the first time ever. Nobody had ever heard about it. And he shows up there in the uh, TV station there in Las Vegas, and they do an interview, and he says, okay, my name is Dennis. That was, a, that was actually his boss's name. And he said, I work out at a place outside of Area 51 called S4. And he said, I am tasked with uh, helping to um, break down and de-engineer um, an actual... UFO alien craft that was not made on this earth. And he said, there's nine of them out there. They're up, they're hidden inside uh, this hangar that's built inside this mountain so that it can't be seen by anybody, no matter how hard they look. And he said, um, he said, I'm scared for my life and I'm coming out in the open. And Bob Lazar basically described, he went up into, he was only allowed access to one uh, model of, UFO, and they called it the sport model, and he drew a diagram of it, and he showed how it worked. He shows how it creates gravity. 
it creates gravity. What is gravity, what is gravity going to cause this to do when I let it go? Okay. So gravity basically causes everything to do what? Fall. When the, the way Bob described this UFO was, this UFO creates gravity on the bottom of it, and they can control the amount of gravity. They can control the, like the gravity well that this UFO craft sits inside so that the people inside, they're not affected by motion. They're not affected by time. They're not affected by space. They're not affected by anything. And he said, basically, they create a gravity well and he said, all they have to do is aim the gravity well in the place that they want to go. And he said, this is what's interesting. He said, the craft literally falls into its next location in three-dimensional space. It's a falling, living organism. Now, those who know the Bible know that the race of angels that are the enemies of God, known as devils, gods, evil angels, familiar spirits, unclean spirits, and so on. They're described in the Bible as fallen. Lucifer, the devil, is always described in the Bible as fallen. Isaiah 14, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Jesus says, I saw Satan fall as lightning to the earth. In uh, the book of Revelation, Chapter 12, Satan is kicked out of heaven. He falls to the earth. And then after a certain period of trying to create a big war on the earth against God, an angel comes down, wraps Satan up in, chain, in chains, and drops him into a bottomless pit. And he does what for a thousand years? He falls. So that's what gravity represents as far as that. Some of you will get that and some of you won't. But here's what he said now. He said, what we've come to learn is this. We're standing at the precipice of a new age. There's actually a religion called the new age. There's power in the many, but only when they're acting as one. That's when resonance happens. Now, let me stop for a minute. There's an idea that says that as human beings, we should all get rid of our weapons get rid of all of our implements of war. We should all stop being different classes of people in different uh, imaginary borders. And, uh, and even the astronauts that, that circled the Earth and went to the moon and they looked down on the Earth and they said, we don't see any borders there. We just see all one world. And that's sort of bringing everybody to the mind that maybe we should just all be one happy species on the earth and that we should all work together as one on everything that we do okay now i've been married to this beautiful lady back there on the my right for 36 years happily married she goes with me everywhere i go everywhere i speak um, we got an rv we travel together we have fun we have uh, a bunch of grandkids that we love to just dote over and everything like that. And we've gotten along now for 36 years. That doesn't mean that we have agreed on everything for 36 years. Now, the good thing is we agree on almost everything that's important. And that's what keeps us together. 
on the things that we don't agree on, we just kind of don't let it come between us. Now, that'd be nice if everybody in the world did that, wouldn't it? Okay, this war in Israel would end tonight. Why is that not possible? Whose religion are we going to give up? Whose government are we going to not follow anymore? What foods are we going to eat? Some say the only way to really be good humans is to eat vegan. Okay, I don't agree with that. The problem is we have so many differences between us. God himself, the Bible says God divided the nations. And for good reason. We don't all get along. And sometimes the differences between two groups of people are life-threatening differences. And it's just not plausible to think that all that thousands of years of warfare and differences in politics and religion and racial strife and everything else that makes humans bad people is going to go away overnight simply because somebody wrote a song about it. Okay? So, he's living in a dream world, but it's a dream world that he believes that when the aliens come, they're going to set everybody straight. They're going to destroy all of the old religions and show how everybody was wrong. They're going to they're going to use technology to show mankind that all of his forms of government our tyranny, and that actually man doesn't need any government. Man can just live free on his own, okay? But man needs to be governed. That's the simple truth of it. So here, let me finish what he said. Then when resonance happens, whether joining together as responsible citizenry against the forces standing to divide us or joining consciousness to unite with the beings. Uh, here we go. Here's your agenda. Because they told Stephen Greer this. Tell the world, we want to join with you. We want to unite with you. We want our consciousness and our being and our life joined with your consciousness and your being and your life all the way down to the genetic scale, so that if we join each other in our genetic makeup, then we'll all be one species. He said, so to unite with the beings who are prepared to communicate with us, we must come together as one. Actually, what I just read you, the Bible prophesied okay so this is actually Stephen Greer's organization serious disclosure that's his website and so he has an article on there that says does this mean that God does not exist and the Bible was wrong well that caught my attention and he says not at all the fact other beings exist in the cosmos only adds to the glory of a supreme being he was 
create, he has created a universe teeming with life and other intelligent life forms with whom we have more in common than our differences will ever be. For we can see that all such intelligent life forms possess awareness, intelligence, a soul. Are we not then more like them than different? The concept of man then takes on a universal dimension, which only adds to the power and beauty of the great being. Now, he's used terms supreme being, great being. And I think that's it. But he didn't say God. He didn't call him Jesus Christ. He didn't call him Buddha either. He didn't call him Allah. Uh, he didn't call him Pope, Holy Father. None of these religious terms that people have developed to refer to God. He didn't, didn't use any of those terms. Leads me to believe that he's speaking of a different God. And so now we have a war between gods, just like you would see in a Marvel comic book or a movie. But it's actually prophesied in the scripture, a war between gods, two gods. The God Jehovah, who is the God of the Israelites in the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ, his son, who is God along with God the Father, we call it the Trinity or the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, so we have that God, and then we have, uh, Paul said, the God of this world. He calls him the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Um, give me some other names he's called. Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the dragon the deceiver, the destroyer, okay? All of these terms apply to Satan, so there is a war between gods. And it is my absolute firm belief, based upon um, what I see in the scriptures and what I have researched from all sides of the UFO movement, the UFO story, the UFO phenomenon, the aliens that are driving this and so on, what I see from coming from them, whether it's from Aleister Crowley or it's coming from the Beatles or it's coming from Stephen Greer or we can keep going. Uh, let's see here. Oh, here's a lady here. Uh, this movie caught my eye. It's a documentary, E.T. Contact. They are here by a lady by the name of Caroline Corey. <clears throat> so I thought it would have a lot of stories in it about UFOs and aliens, but really... What it ended up being was a nearly one and a half hour documentary on New Age garbage. ET contact, teleportation, tele telepathy, telekinesis, gene editing. She actually mentioned in this documentary that the aliens were interested in editing our genetics so that we become better than what we are now. The idea that you can edit death out of the human genome. But there's a problem. Um, who in here knows, is studying any biology right now? What is programmed cell death? Do you know what that is? I didn't ask you. Well, I mean, it's a very complicated and umbrella term, but it encompasses a lot of different 
Okay, but basically, it's what is in every cell in my body, and it's the reason why I have not continued to grow mass over the 57 years that I've been on this planet, is that nearly every cell in my body has a cycle. It's created from the old cell, the DNA being copied perfectly going into the new cell. Now we have two cells that are exactly alike and they have the same DNA. And that old cell that created that new cell may put out two or three or four more, but then about every 30 days approximately, that original cell dies. It's the one thing that makes healthy cells in my body, like skin cells and bone tissue cells and blood cells and mucus cells and all the, all the brain cells and everything. It's the one thing that separates the healthy cells in my body from cancer. Because the one thing that we know about cancer and its genetics is that it found a way to cancel out programmed cell death. That's why malignant tumors don't ever stop growing. They keep adding mass. Once they, once they create a new cell, the original cell that created the new cell doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It doesn't die. It keeps making new cells and keeps making new cells and new cells. My wife had a mammogram a few years ago. They said, you have cancer. And she elected to have a complete surgical removal of everything so that she would never have that cancer again. When we went to the cancer doctor to find out uh, a little bit about what she had, the uh, cancer doctor said, I'm surprised that uh, we were able to find it. She held up a pen and she said, what we found was no bigger than the tip of this pen. And they were able to find that using a mammogram. Meaning that even though it was just barely that big when they found it, and she'd been having mammograms every six months, like you're supposed to. When they found it, they found it that small. Had they not found it in six months, it might have been too late. And it might have killed her. Who was it that just died of breast cancer? Um, used to be on TV, Suzanne Summers. You know what happens? Obviously, obviously, they didn't catch the cancer in time. And the cancer kept doing what it does, is that it beat programmed cell death. Okay? The sad thing about this world is that everybody dies. <laughs> you caught that. Let me show you. She said, quote, it is no longer about the gods among us, in other words, the aliens, but that you may be a god among the gods. Now, somebody asked last night, what's the difference between a mortal and an immortal, or a god and a human? What's the difference? The biggest difference, number one difference is, immortals don't do what? They don't eat ice cream. No. Immortals don't die. Angels don't die. Spirits don't die. Um, well, there's Bible verses that says that they can when God has had enough of them. But anyway, immortals don't die, but mortals do. And so man is on a quest 
to beat dying. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, one of the smartest men in America, went to work for Google, and he works uh, basically trying to solve the problems of humans dying. He's the one that Life, uh, Time Magazine wrote the article about where they said by 2049, man will be immortal. In other words, he believes that either through rewriting DNA or by joining with technology or a combination of both, that by 2049, which is within your lifetime, you could very well be the generation that sees man attempt to stop dying. Well, now we got a real problem. We already have seven and a half billion people on this planet. And so by uh, the next 25, 26, seven years, something like that, Ray Kurzweil's telling us that all of those seven and a half billion people, which will be what by 2049? I don't know, 10 billion? That none of those 10 billion people are gonna die off so that we don't overload the planet. What's the problem? If people don't die, we're gonna have to come up with some other place or some other way to live. All of that is something that the alien gods, this is what she calls them, and she's on their team. God's among us. And she says that it will be for us to be gods like they are. Well, let me tell you, Caroline, that was already prophesied in the Bible in Genesis 3. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. The word Genesis means beginning and is where we get the word gene and genetics from. Okay? Genesis 3. Now, here's the serpent, which is Lucifer, Satan. And he has a plan for mankind. He has an alternate plan. God has a plan for man, salvation, heaven. Satan has a plan for man, um, become gods like we are, uh, only we're going to rule over you. And he says, the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, he's talking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Because God set two trees in the midst of the garden, the tree of life, and Adam and Eve could eat from that every day. Or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God said, don't eat of that tree. That's just... It was neat that in the world that God created, he only gave one rule to man. One rule, meaning there's only one sin, one wrong do, deed that you can do. And that is, he just said, don't eat from that tree. Now, you would think that would be a simple thing. But what do humans do when they're told they can't do something? You do it, man. Yeah, here, hold my beer. Let me show you something, Okay. <laughs> What, what happens when scientists say that? Hold my lab coat. Let me show you what we're going to do. Then it creates problems. Okay? So God had one rule, and that is just don't eat of that tree, and that's all you have to do, and you can live in this garden forever because you'll have access to the tree of life. That tree will give you life. It'll give you immortality, and you won't die. But... If you eat of that tree, I'm going to cancel your reservation for the tree of life. I'm going to remove you from it. I'm going to kick you out of the garden, and you're going to die. 
And so we believe that since Adam, everybody dies. Um, we as Christians obviously believe that there is a way out, and it's called salvation. We believe that Christ is our Savior. He has taken all of my bad deeds. And yes, I'm a preacher and been a church member and a Christian all my life. But I've done some pretty rotten, stinking things. So I've had to ask God to forgive me, and I believe he has. Just like he forgave that one guy I told you about. The worst guy that I ever knew in my life. That guy was my wife's brother. And we were close. And there for a while, he hated my guts. But when it came down to it, he, he realized, God helped him realize that there was a better way. And he chose that way. So let me end with this. I read this last night, but you guys weren't here, so I'm going to read it to you. This was a book called Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind. It was a guy that uh, studied people who study uh, abductees, the people who are taken aboard these craft. And he said, the central focus of the alien abduction program is, according to David Jacobs, which is one of the guys, along with Bud Hopkins and um, the Harvard professor, John Mack, is the collection of human eggs and sperm. Barney Hill did not want this known about him while he was alive. He was embarrassed by it. It was only after him and his wife, Betty, died that uh, Betty's niece, um, I can't remember her name right now, but she's on the UFO lecture circuit. I've talked to her before. Um, she said that Barney didn't want anybody to know this, but he and Betty, when they were taken aboard the alien craft, that um, they extracted eggs from Betty and they extracted sperm from Barney. All the way back in the 60s, back before anybody on this planet even knew barely the very basics of DNA, much less we hadn't even, we hadn't mapped out the human genome. That wasn't done until after the year 2000. Um, then we started reading DNA, and we realized that it was actually written just like a book. And so Bud Hopkins agrees. John Mack agrees. He said they support the most sinister explanation for the aliens' presence among us. They are, as Hopkins wrote in his book, Intruders, engaged in, quote, an ongoing genetic study. And he said, and the human species itself is the subject of a breeding experiment. One of the purposes for which UFOs travel to Earth is to abduct humans to help aliens produce other beings. Jacobs wrote in his book, Secret Life, it is not a program of reproduction, but one of production. Remember, I showed you this lady, this wacky New Age lady, said that the aliens want to join with us. On the genetic level, Stephen Greer says they want us to all be one and all be one happy species where we all believe the same thing. We like the same foods and, and so on and so on. And here these guys are saying the exact same thing, coming from a different way of approaching it, different way of looking at it. They're not here to help us. That's what the Bible says about devils. They're not here to help us. When Satan went to Eve and said... Wouldn't you like to eat from that tree that God said you can't eat from? He was telling her to disobey God. And I can tell you that when you disobey God, there are always 
consequences, always. He said, they're not here to help us. They have their own agenda, and we're not allowed to know its full parameters. The focus of the adduction program is the production of children. Now, whether you believe the Bible or not, I'm going to show you what he just said in the form of a prophecy in the book of Daniel. Uh, Kevin and his wife know where I'm going with this. Genesis 6. Yeah, Genesis 6. You ever heard of the giants? There were giants on the earth. That's actually in the Bible. Uh, now, I was ready to close it off, and you... Let me show you that very quickly. Let me show you how it happened. Okay. Genesis 6, actually. No. Genesis 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, the angels, saw the daughters of men, the humans, that they were fair. That means they were pretty. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And then in verse 4, it says, There were giants in the earth in those days. You've heard the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was six cubits in a span. That measures out to be something like nine feet tall. There was another giant mentioned in the Bible. He was King Og. That was his name. And the Bible said that his bed, he had a bed of iron that he laid on, and his bed measured out to be 13 and a half feet tall, six feet wide. We're not talking about tall, skinny basketball player guys. We're talking about tall, huge girth men that the Bible says right here in Genesis 6, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Name a civilization that lived in the past, and I'll tell you their giant story, because the American Indians had giant stories, the Mexican Aztecs had giant stories. The uh, Incas down in Peru had giant stories. The Chinese had giant stories. The Africans, my son is African, he's from Kenya. They have giant stories. The Europe is full of giant stories. Russia had giant stories. Every civilization on the earth in their history tells of getting along or not getting along with men of gigantic stature. And how did they get to be that way? The Bible is telling you that when the angels mated with these human women, they created a hybrid race called the giants. And the, the Bible is telling you the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. And the Bible is telling you, go look at the other civilizations on the earth, and they're going to tell you the exact same story. That the whole idea of the titans was that the gods fathered them when the gods mated with human women. Apollo. The Apollo missions were named after the god Apollo. Do you know who he was? The son of Zeus and a human woman. He was a hybrid god, just like the giants were. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to show you a two and a half thousand year old prophecy in Daniel 2. And I can tell you, having not just UFOs, I study secret societies, Freemasonry, uh, Oddfellows, um, Rosicrucianism. Um, I have read Morals and Dogma, cover to cover. I've read um, Manley Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages multiple times. 
And Manley Hall said this. Manley Hall studied every religion in the earth and every civilization in the earth, and he said there's one, there's one giant secret that all these religions had a piece of. And he said when you put them all together, you have one basic secret that's being kept by only a few people in the world, and that is the future state of mankind. Where is mankind headed? And basically, it, it has to do with man becoming gods. And so Daniel uh, was the servant of King Nebuchadnezzar. This is actually history. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. That's a historic fact. Nebuchadnezzar raided Jerusalem. That is a historic fact. And he brought people from who were living in Jerusalem as slaves and servants for him in Babylon. He chose some of the best of the Jewish young men, teenage boys and so on, unmarried young guys, and basically made them his servants in his palace. And he happened upon uh, three of the guys, and he named them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the three that were in the fiery furnace. And then one of them he called Bel Teshazar, uh, which has several names in it. It has Baal's name in it, Bel, the, Nebi, the uh, Babylonian god. It has the word Tsar in it, which is where we get the word Caesar and Tsar from Russia. Uh, it has the word Shah in it, which is a Persian term for what? King. King. Bel to Shazar. That was his name. But his Hebrew name was Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he woke up troubled. He couldn't remember the dream. And he called his astrologers and his soothsayers and his fortune tellers and the guys that were talking to aliens and said, tell me the dream. And they said, we can't do that. And he said, well, I'll have you all killed tomorrow morning if you don't tell me what the dream was. Daniel prayed to God. God said, Daniel, tell him this dream was this. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar the next morning, Nebuchadnezzar, you dreamed of a giant big image, a big statue. It had a head of gold, and it had uh, the chest of silver. It had legs of brass. It had feet of iron, and the toes were of iron and clay mixed. Nebuchadnezzar said, that's it. Now, what does it mean? He said, well, God said that you're the head of gold. You're a king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar. You're on the top of this right now, but we're going to move forward in history. The next kingdom after you is going to be a little bit less important to you because silver doesn't cost near as much as gold. It's going to be another world empire. That was the, the uh, uh, Grecian empire. And then he said, there's going to be another one after that. And there's going to be another one after that, the Iron Kingdom. Well, that was Rome, the Roman Empire that ruled over the earth. But he said, then there's another kingdom on the toes. And he said, they're part of iron and part of clay. He said, they're partly strong like iron, but they're partly weak like clay. They're unmovable like iron, but they're pliable like clay. He's describing opposites. And my father-in-law, my wife's dad, was a welder, and he welded iron things together. And he said, the one thing you cannot do is weld iron with dirt or mud. They won't stick. And so here's how Daniel interpreted that. In Daniel 2.43, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Now, what is that? What is the seed of men? DNA. 
They didn't know deoxyribonucleic acid in Daniel's day. They didn't know it in the days of the King James translation, but we know it now. We know that every living species on this planet has seed that it uses to reproduce itself. We call it DNA or RNA. The Bible calls it seed. And it says here that this kingdom, this kingdom of gods, is going to mingle themselves literally right into man's DNA. That is exactly what this guy said, what she said, what Stephen Greer said, what a lot of these other UFO people are saying. That they're coming here and they're doing genetic experiments on abductees and they're making a new species in an attempt to win the battle against God. That battle's called the Battle of Armageddon. You've probably heard of it. It's the battle of the last days, and we believe the Bible tells us that Christ will be the winner of that battle. So I've chosen, and some of these other people here they follow our ministry. We have chosen to be on the side of Jesus because, after all, Jesus was a, was a person who loved everybody, no matter who they were. And that's in spite of bad Christians who do bad things in the name of religion, there are Christians who follow Jesus who are told to love everybody no matter what. So I didn't come here to tell you how much right I am and how wrong you are. I didn't, tell you, I didn't come here to tell you how much God hates you. I came here to use the UFO subject to bring an awareness to you, to give you some free food, and to tell you that God does love you. And that love is in the Bible. Any questions? Yes? So, Anybody else? Have, no, go ahead. <laughs> so, I like you. I, I'm confused about something. So am so, I. Pretty much, they are, are they the angels in the scriptures? So yeah. Like, so these angels are the, oh, the, the bad ones. Oh, so the, but they still are like not deities. They're still like they're the religious beings. Yeah. They're not on God's side, but they're not. But they're like the same level as an angel, but they're just bad. They're like they're like the devil. Yeah. They're on his side. There's Bible describes two groups of angels, and they're actually a war. In Revelation 12, a war that goes on in heaven between Lucifer, Satan, and his, a third of the angels, and Michael, the archangel, the chief, big, strong angel, and he's got two-thirds of the angels on his side. And they're going to fight a war in the last days. The devil's going to lose, and God's going to kick them all out of heaven. Well, now, some of these angels, we've already found out from Scripture, look like chariots. Mm -hmm. Even the chariots are. No, but do you think there's separate actual intelligent life in the universe other than us? That is not like fallen angels, but like beings made out of DNA themselves. Um, they have their own DNA. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'm a geocentrist with an explanation. Geocentrism means that I believe what the church believed a thousand years ago was that the earth is the center of the universe. Okay? Now, I don't believe that 
the sun rotates, or that, yeah, the sun rotates around the earth. I believe the earth rotates around the sun. We're in part of the solar system. That's been proven. Even the Bible tells you that. You got to know what to look for. But anyway, it tells you that. And so I believe that um, Genesis 1-1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Two things. He created the earth. And here's what's interesting. All of these evil angels that are all over the universe, okay, in the end, God's going to send them to one place. Guess where it is? It's at the core of this earth. That's where hell is located. That's where Jesus said hell was. So out of all the places in the universe that God could round up all the bad seed in the universe and put them someplace, he chooses the heart of this particular planet. It, I absolutely believe that. I believe that we are unique in this. Now, some people have a problem with that. They say, look at all these stars, and, and, surely, and now we know there's planets around them, and that tells us that we're not as unique as we I think we are. I think we are God. The Bible says we're created in God's image. We're his children. Every race and every strain of human being all came from one God. He made us all beautiful, and he made us all out of the same substance, dirt. Think about it. There's no green dirt, and there's no purple dirt on the earth. There's tan dirt, dark brown dirt, black dirt, uh, yellow dirt, and red dirt. Look around this room. How many different kinds of dirt do you see? Tan dirt, and there's tan people, and red people, and yellow people, and dark brown people, and black people. And God made them all the same because he made them all out of this earth. And the word Adam is the Hebrew word for earth. Okay? Yes? The center of the earth, we believe, is made of molten iron. Yeah, molten iron. And is this an iron kingdom? Iron kingdom, and it's obviously a molten yeah. What's at the core of every sun that we know of, every star? Because these stars are literally fusion or yeah, devices, they're constantly creating iron at its core. And what happens when a star, what we call a star turning into a black hole, it literally builds up so much iron and it's magnetic and it's full of gravity that it literally collapses in on itself and becomes what we know as a black hole. So think of all these stars out there as representative of these angels, because that's, the, that's how the Bible represents them as angels. Satan kicks a third of the, the stars of heaven out, and then it says he took a third of the angels out. So the Bible's telling you that's what it means. And at the core of every star in the universe, it's creating iron. So there's your iron kingdom right there. It's these, it's these evil angels that just like they did in Genesis, they're creating a race. And in the Old Testament, they created the giants. And look up, look up newspaper stories on Google of Americans finding giant bones in caves in the 1800s as we were moving westward. As man was pioneering this country, and when he set up a new place to build a farm and a, and a town, People would venture out and look in the countryside and see what it was, and they'd find caves and they'd find giant bones in there. And these were all written of in the local. I'm sure in I'm sure Purdue, Purdue University has 
a copy of every newspaper published in the state of Indiana in the 1800s. And if you'll look in there, you'll find stories of them finding giant bones. Okay? Any other question? Yes? Um, in, okay. Uh, here's, here's what I believe about the soul, okay? Um, we know that in, in when God created Adam, the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. We don't have God doing that with any other creature like giraffes and goldfish and kitty cats. And we don't have God seen as doing that with angels, okay? And one thing that makes us different than um, dogs, cats, goldfish, and guinea pigs, and angels, is that we have free will, okay? I didn't come here to try to shove a religion down your throat that you're not going to live by as soon as I leave this building, I came to introduce something to you that would capture your interest, a little bit of your imagination, and use it to teach a truth. And in that, I'm no different than a professor or a Sunday school teacher or a politician or anybody else, a school teacher. And um, I believe that man was given the ability to choose what he's going to do with himself. We had a dog that my daughter had, and this dog, I'll just say it, humped everything, including the other dogs we had in the house. And no amount of swatting that dog, yelling at that dog, putting that dog in a cage, ever changed that dog and what that dog did. So my daughter finally got rid of this stupid dog, okay? Um, that dog didn't have a choice. It doesn't have the capacity to choose what he can do with himself. He's just following his genetics and following his instincts and, in some cases, his training. But other than that, he can't choose how he wants to live. He can't choose who he wants to mate with. He can't choose anything like that. We can we can make those choices. God gave us the gift of free will, and he gave you the gift to decide whether I'm teaching you a great big load of cow patties or I'm teaching you something that sounds true. You make the choice, okay? I've already made mine. You make yours, okay? Anybody else? Free food. Take it or I'll have to eat it. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I really do. Oh, I was going to show, and you can mix about if you want to, and I was going to show this video. This is a woman was telling her husband that she was having bad dreams at night and that she dreamed that she was being taken out of her house. So her husband suspected something, and he set up, uh, night cam in their bedroom. Her husband's laying here. She's laying here. And so the video will play for a while. And let me fast forward it a little bit. And what you're going to see is that woman is going to disappear. 
from under those covers. Um, let's see here. Yeah, there it goes. Gone. Now, let's fast forward a little bit because they let some of the video go. We'll put it right here. A couple hours later, and her husband's going to react to it. He's, there, there it is, boom. And her husband reacts. He doesn't wake up, but he fidgets. He turns himself over like something startled him. And he goes right back to sleep, but his wife's there. So there you go. Um... Okay. I think it's real. I absolutely think it's real.